0: morning, God's good, right? It's good to see you, man, I'm excited about this morning, Um, just excited about what God's doing and uh, today um, we're going to continue looking at um, really what God's called us to And, and it all ties back into the vision we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, not our vision but God's vision for his church, the Big C Church. If you didn't hear the last couple of messages, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those, um, because it really lays out um, the why and the how of what God wants us to do as a church, not just this church, this local body, but His church um, as a whole. And we looked at, and I can't go into all of it right now, but Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where God um, creates man, He creates him in His image, and He tells him, he blesses him, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. We were created to fill the earth with the very image of God, um, to rule and reign over it in a way that glorifies him and uh, to live in a relationship with God that is satisfying to us, that is fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. Um, And so we looked at that and then we realized that it's the, the power of God's love and the power of the Holy Spirit in us that really compels us to go do that. Um, We looked at last week how Jesus gave us two commands to love God, to love each other, but it's not really that easy, is it? It's it's impossible without the Holy Spirit in us. And so we're going to kind of continue that thought, but we're going to do it in the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at this. We're going to be looking at who is God. And I really want us to begin to answer that question because I think through a lot of our experience in the world, even our experience in church, many times we've really lost sight of who God is, what's important to God, what's His character and nature, who is He? And so we're going to be looking at that um, and really seeing how that ties back into His purpose for our lives. And so today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to go through that chapter and we're going to be looking at this truth about God and his nature. And that is that God is relational. God is a relational God. Um, and so I want us to pray. That we're going to jump into this message and we're going to see what the Lord has for us. Father, we thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, that you are here right now. I pray that we would be sensitive to what you have to say, God. That we would have ears to hear. That we'd have eyes to see in faith. We wouldn't just take this as a regular Sunday, God, but this is a a time where we get to meet with you together. God, so we thank you for that. Would you work in us, God? Do in us what we can't do, God. Change our hearts. Right now, Lord, we stand in the name of Christ. We are gathered in the name of Jesus. We're gathered, God, because of him because of what you've done. So, Lord, we we thank you for that. Help us to see it more clearly. God, let your your spirit open our eyes today to see more clearly who you are in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so a little moment of honesty. We often begin with a moment of honesty here before the message, just to get your hearts right. Um, and, And so here's a question for you. How many of you would be willing to admit you're moody? Any moody people here today? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. People have been pretty honest about that. Um, And I would admit that I'm moody. How many of you are like the calm in the storm? You never change. You're just unchanged. You kind of just always are the same. Well, some of us wish you would change, like at least have some highs and lows, right? Um, but anyway, I'm kind of that way. I'm kind of that emotional person, like on a scale of 1 to 10 of emotion being a 1 and logic being a 10. I'm like a 2. And so everything I think or feel is pretty much on my sleeve. Like I, I, can't, I can't fake it. I can't hide it. So my wife, um, God bless her, right? Um, a lot of jewels in her crown when she gets to heaven because she has had to live with me. And this moodiness, right? It's gotten a little better over the years. God's working in me. And for those of you who know me, you know my imperfections. Just think about what I'd be like without Jesus, right? And so that's kind of scary. Um, But... Here's the thing that, that I realize about God, and God is not like us in that way that he's up and down and all over the place. God is consistent. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The good news about God is God didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to love my creation. I think I'll, I, I want to do something to help him. And then tomorrow he wakes up and goes, ah, heck with him, right? God doesn't do that. What we see about God is consistent. So as we look at who God is, we know that this is consistent with God. Just like we look at his plan from Genesis chapter 1 to Acts 1-8 and beyond, we realize that God's plan has not changed. Um, It's the same. And God doesn't change. God is not like shifting shadows, as the Bible says. He's steady. He's consistent. And so once we come to see him and know him, we know that the characteristics and attributes of God are that way, that we don't have to wonder every day what he's going to be like. Now, today, I want you to see this characteristic of God, this um, the nature of God in this way, and, and his purpose in this, that God is a relational God. And, and You can see this in God, even in the Trinity, and I know, like, look, we don't have time to delve into the Trinity. We can't fully explain it anyway, but here's the thing I will tell you today. When you look at the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we see that even with God, there is relationship. Relationship is important to God. He created us for relationship. He didn't create us to have to obey a bunch of rules and, and these things. He created us for relationship with himself. Jesus didn't come to put a yoke on us that is heavy. He came to put us a yoke on us that is light. To walk with us in relationship. He wasn't, Jesus isn't something else that we should have to try to do. Jesus is someone to know. He came to establish relationship. And so I want you to see this today. This is huge. Everything in our life is driven by relationship if we're in Christ, if we're Christians with God. That should be what drives our life in every way, in everything. And so God is relational. If you look at how God created man, he created us in perfect relationship with himself. He created us, even the husband and wife, they were in perfect relationship with each other. That may be the biggest miracle that God's ever done. Opening eyes, that's awesome. Raising the dead, that's cool. But making a husband and wife live in perfect relationship, that's a miracle, right? And we see that, like he created, and it was that way. But then what happened? Sin enters the picture. And see, sin is not just a morality thing. Sin is a heart issue. Sin is is what happens when we rebel against God, when we literally, sin is not just um, some action. Sin is a direction of life. It is turning from God and going in a different direction. And so sin separates us from God. When we think about that, that's a huge deal because what does sin do with Adam? What does sin do with him? What does sin do with us? It separates us from God. And so we need to see that and understand that, that the issue with relationship with God is sin. Our rebellion against him. And I want us to pick up in Ephesians chapter 2. In, in what we're reading, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He, he's encouraging them, as he does in most of his letters, to stand firm in faith. And what we're about to read, it, it, it's amazing. We don't have time to go through every aspect. We can spend so much time on this one chapter but but I hope today that you leave with a little more awe of God after we look at this. It says in verse 1 of Ephesians 2, he says as for you you were what? Dead in your transgressions and sins. What did God tell Adam and Eve when we go back and read in the beginning would happen if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If they sinned, if they rebelled. What did God say was going to happen? you're gonna die what does paul say as for you the ones he's writing the letter to he's saying as for you You know this. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. You were dead in your rebellion against God. You weren't even mindful of God. You weren't thoughtful of God. You had no desire for God. But here's the good news, people. When I had no thought of God, when I didn't desire God, God still thought of me. God still desired me. And that is one of the most amazing truths that we could ever let sink in, not just to our mind but into our hearts is that when I had no desire for him, he had a desire for me. Doesn't make sense. Why? I don't even like me most of the time. Why would God? And so you see it. It's like, it's crazy. He says, we were dead in our transgressions and sin. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's, he's saying, look, at one point in time, you were dead. You were just following your own desires. You were following Satan. You were following the system that he's established in the world. You were just trying to live it out. You were doing everything that he wanted you to do. And he says this, he goes on. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Do you notice the inclusive language he uses right there? He he says this. He says, how many of us lived among them? All. All. He says, following those desires, he says, and like the rest, he's like, like everybody else, like all the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And see, this is something that doesn't get much press, right? It doesn't get talked about as much because it doesn't feel good. But even if we're honest in our own conscience, we know, we know that we do not deserve to be with God. Don't we? We know it. Like we know that in and of myself, I am not worthy of being in the presence of God. It's why when I do sin, there's there's this conviction if i'm a christian there's a conviction even if i'm not a christian unless your your conscience has just been completely seared you know when you do wrong there's something in you that goes you ever had that that, right and you just know and 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 so we see this we know that apart from christ look i deserve god's wrath it's, he wouldn't be just if he didn't punish it and we look at him and we go but isn't that a little bit drastic the only reason we think it's drastic for god to pour out wrath on sin and evil is because we don't have a clear understanding of how holy and good god really is if he doesn't punish it then he's not just any longer and so we look at this and here's the thing, here's the first conclusion we have to really come to is one, I was dead in my sin and two, I was deserving of wrath. That's what was due to me. That's what was due to me. And here's the thing, guys, after today, I hope you'll be glad like for these buts in the Bible because there are these buts in the Bible that signal a transition. And if it were not for these transitions in the Bible, we would be hopeless. But I, but I want you to see this, guys. These transitions in Scripture are what should cause our hallelujah. These transitions in Scriptures are what should compel us to worship. These transitions in Scripture are what should compel us towards God, should make us want to draw near to Him and carry out His purposes. He says this, while you were deserving of wrath, while I was deserving of wrath, while I was dead in my sin. He says, but because of his what? Great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Thank God for the transition. Thank God that he didn't just say, you're deserving of wrath, you're going to get it one day. He said, but because of his great love for us, he sent his son. Because of his great love for us, he went to the cross. Because of his great love for us, he took on himself our sin. Because of his great love for us, look at this, he took the wrath that we were deserving of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We see that. He says, and it's by grace you've been saved. Listen to what he goes on and says. And by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up, how? With Christ. And seated us, where? With him. In the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. So we've been made alive, in verse 5, with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that we've been saved. We've been raised up with Christ. Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order to show that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Notice also now, guys, listen the inclusive language in that, the the unifying language in that. He says, listen, yes, all of us were dead. All of us were deserving of wrath. But now all of us who've been made right with Christ by faith, not by works, by faith through God's grace, through his unmerited love, his unmerited favor, but it's bigger than that. It's God doing for us and in us what we cannot do for ourselves and in ourselves and then through ourselves. He's saying because God's grace has been poured out on you, because now you've been made right right with God through faith he's saying listen the whole ball game has changed now instead of just being included with all of those who are deserving of wrath who were dead in sin now you've been made one with Christ you've been raised up with Christ you've been made alive with Christ and now you've been seated with Christ in heaven You've been made one. What's he showing us? That now through faith in Jesus and the power of God's grace in our life, we have come back to a right standing with God, a relationship with him that is not based on my merit, but is based on what Jesus has done. By faith. See, the key to it is The key to it is that I see this. Not only do I see this, I I experience this. I experience the grace of God. I experience the love of God. I experience the spirit of God being poured out into my life. And my life is then lived out of my experiential knowledge of God's truth in my life. So that my whole focus changes. Everything begins to change. I begin to see differently. He tells us again, "It's for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He's telling us, look again, Don't forget it's grace that saved you. Don't forget this came by faith. And don't forget that even your faith is the outworking of the Holy Spirit as God sent him to bring you to himself. That's amazing. That when we were dead, helpless, God sent his spirit to bring us back to him. That's the source of life. That's the source of our hallelujah. That's the source of our praise. That's the source of what compels us to keep going forward, to keep stepping, to keep moving with God. Verse 10 For we are God's handiwork. In other words, he's saying, Look, God's grace in you, Him doing in you and through you what you cannot do for yourself, has made you His handiwork. He has made you to be this. He said, created again in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word handiwork is, is a word, I believe it's pronounced Puyama. Um, nobody else knows either, so let's just go with it. But it's, it's the word that we would derive our word poem. It means like a, a work of art. I've heard someone in the past, I can't remember who, said, it's like God is saying, You're my masterpiece. Is that crazy or what? Do you feel like a masterpiece? I don't. I I don't know that I look in the mirror very often and go, you're a masterpiece. I know I got a haircut on Friday. I think it was Friday. Days run together. I got a haircut on Friday, and, and I saw my wife, and she goes, I like your haircut. It makes your face look thin. I'm a masterpiece with a fat face. And it's like, uh, but God, he's created us in this, right? He's created us in in, in this grace, the power of his grace. He's clothed us with Christ, his righteousness. We're in Christ. That's why we are a masterpiece. That's what compels us. That's why Paul could write to Titus and say, it is grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness it is grace it is God in you it is God working in you and through you in this reestablished relationship that teaches us to walk in Christ to walk in the spirit and then God produces the fruit of the spirit you remember us talking about that last week that God produces that in us the love and joy and peace and patience what do we do we live our lives walking with Christ we we, we don't We don't just throw away the privilege that we now have of coming boldly before his throne of grace. We take advantage of it and we come in and we enjoy a reconciled relationship with God. And so we see in verses one through 10, God is telling us, he's saying, look, through Paul's, Paul's writing this, he's saying that relationship that was broken by sin, listen, it has been re-established. How was it established? Jesus went to the cross, took the wrath that you were deserving of. The righteous one became unrighteous, so you could become the righteousness of God. Listen, don't forget this is what He's telling us that this is what God has done, and out of that should spring a hallelujah, and not just a hallelujah on Sunday morning when we're singing a song that says hallelujah, but a life that lives out a hallelujah because. Even when all hell is breaking loose in my life, I remember what Jesus has done. And even in the midst of the storm, I can sing out a hallelujah. And sometimes I don't feel like saying hallelujah. Sometimes I feel like choking the life out of somebody. But you know what? There's something in me that even if I lose it for a second, I back up and I go, That's not me. I'm a masterpiece in the hand of the Creator, and He's made me different. And there's something inside of me that says, Don't turn and go that way way, turn and come back this way repent and don't walk away repent and come back to the God of grace, the God who's rich in mercy the God who made you alive when you were dead, the God that raised you up out of the mire and the muck and the crap of your sin, the God who seated you in heavenly places so that your home is no longer this earth, so that your hopes no longer bound to this earth, so that you know that in the future you have a greater inheritance in Christ than all of this earth could give you whether it's 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 100 years. It's a blip in time. But thank God I can say hallelujah that I know my future is secure in him. So God has reestablished this relationship. He's a relational God. Guys, listen, listen. I know that. you got to get out of this religious system that's telling you it's all about what you do. It's not so much about what you do as much as it is about a relationship with God. If you'll focus on the relationship with God, God will change what you do. It's the Spirit in us. Look, if we could do it on our own, Jesus died for nothing. We sing a song. It says, all I did was worship. All I did was bow down. When we see what God's done, how can I not live for that God? It's why Paul said in light of the gospel, he says, offer your lives as living sacrifices. He says, this is your reasonable act of worship or your reasonable act of service. He says this because in light of what God has done through Christ, it is reasonable that I would live my life for him. I'm compelled by his love. I'm compelled by his grace. I'm not perfect. If you think I'm perfect, come sit by me at a baseball game. (laughs) Ain't that right? Football game. Lose my mind. If you're competitive, I'm times 10. Not perfect, but oh my gosh, I want to know him. Oh my gosh. I want to be more like him, not because I got to, because I can. So Paul goes on. He says, therefore, in verse 11, and, and listen, there's a lot of corny jokes about these these transitions, like if you see therefore, you got to look back at what it's there for, you know, and But it is important, guys, if you'll notice these transitions where there's a but, there's a shift in thought, where there's a therefore, he's pointing us back to what he just said. And so, in other words, what he's about to say is contingent upon what he just wrote. Does that make sense? All right, he says, therefore, remember. Remember. What do we remember? What he just wrote. Therefore, remember what I'm about to say. And don't forget what I just wrote. That formerly, you who are Gentiles, Gentiles, non-Jews, there may be a a, a Jew or two in here, right? But I would would be willing to bet that 99% of us are Gentiles, we're non-Jewish, okay? So he's writing right here specifically to us. He says, therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. There's a ton of stuff we can say about this. Just understand this, that circumcision was a sign that the Jews had that showed that they were the people of God. It was a sign of the covenant, the agreement that God had made with them for them to be his people, okay? So he's saying, listen, you are not part of the agreement is what he's saying. All right, you're not part of the agreement. He says again, remember there's power in remembering, guys. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And so, look at what's happening. You talk about a roller coaster. Paul started out with, you're dead and you deserve wrath. And then he goes, but, right? Now he comes back, so we went, and now he's about to go, like that. He says, you're excluded. You weren't a part of the people of God. There was a separation that existed, that you weren't together. It was Jews and Gentiles. He's saying you were without hope. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. You were foreigners. Foreigners to God, foreigners to his people. You were excluded from citizenship. You had no citizenship in heaven. You weren't alive in Christ. You weren't raised with Christ, and you weren't seated with Christ. There was no citizenship for you in heaven and with God's people. What's the next word? Verse 13. Is it on the screen? There it is. But. But. Hallelujah. (laughs) But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So now look what he's doing. He's telling us, he's saying, look, you were alienated from God, but Jesus made this right. Now he's saying, you were alienated from God's people. There was a division that existed between you and God's people. He says, but now in Christ, the same Christ that reconciled you with himself have now been brought near to God's people. You are far off. He's brought you in. And listen to why or how. He says, for he himself is our Peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. A lot of words there. Basically, this is what it means. The Jews had the law, the rules. This was their way to God. The, the, the um, They had a covenant. If you keep these laws and these rules, then you'll be my people. You'll be a treasured possession. I'll be your God. The Jews or the Gentiles didn't have this. They were without that. He's saying, listen, all of this separated you, but Jesus came. And whether he came to those with a law that they couldn't fulfill or whether he came to people who were ignorant of the law that they couldn't fulfill, he came to abolish the law by living it out in himself, taking the wrath that both of y'all deserved because neither one of you are good enough and now he's torn down this wall that existed between you and you and now y'all can be at peace because you've been made at peace with God and he's torn down this wall that existed between y'all so y'all be friends and fulfill my purpose. That word for peace, it, it means unity. It means an absence of strife. The church needs to recover that. The church needs to recover it. We won't do it without God working in our hearts. He said he did it by setting aside the law in his flesh. What did he do? He fulfilled the law. He came and fulfilled the law and its its demands and the commandments because we couldn't. And listen, he says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace one people what did we talk about the last couple of weeks that God's purpose in renewing the face of the earth filling the earth with his glory filling the earth with people who would rule and reign in 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 a way that is honoring and glorifying to him people in a relationship with him listen to what he's saying here he was creating in himself one people one why because that's the only way we can fulfill the purpose he has for us So he was creating in himself one people and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, us, and peace to those who were near Jews. For through him we both have what? Access to the Father by one spirit. There's our unity, people. Unified. In Christ, unified in the gospel. Man, one of the things that really has spoken to my heart, guys, is this. Where it says that he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And when I look at this, it's amazing. When I think about this, it's incredible. Because what Paul is writing is he's saying, look, in Jesus, he has torn down everything that used to separate you. Paul writes elsewhere, you know, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free. He's saying in Christ, you are all one. You're all one body. There is nothing to divide. So here's the question, church. Why are we still so divided? Because we've lost our way. The very body. Listen, what is a body? If you look at me, what is it? It is a tangible representation of my being. What is the church for Jesus? What is the church for the Father? What is the church who is filled with the Spirit of God? It is to be the tangible representation of God on earth. What are we doing? How come the church is still the most segregated place on the face of the planet? You know why? Sin. You know why? Because we can't get over ourselves. We don't live in all of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We live in our own fleshly desires that supposedly was crucified with Christ on the cross. We lose sight of this. We don't remember. So we got a black church, a white church, a Chinese church, a Korean church. We got a reformed church, an Armenian church. We got a, I don't know what we are, church. We got denominational, non-denominational, interdenominational, multi-denominational. Why? Because we've forgotten the main thing. What is the main thing? That Jesus died on the cross why because god loved us so much that when we were dead in our transgressions and sins he still sent his son and even at the right time when we were dead in those transgressions and sins he died for us and at that moment when he Took the wrath of God on himself and he went into a tomb for three days. And for three days, he laid there cold and dead. But God accepted the sacrifice and God filled him with the Holy Spirit and he raised him from the dead. He walked out three days later. He ascended to heaven and sent back the very Spirit that raised him from the dead to live in you and I. Not so we can have 900 different denominations and sects, but because we've got something greater in us and something greater that we're about that unites us as one people. Black, white, yellow, purple with pink polka dots, brown, every color, every denomination, everything. Quit letting these fine hairs of theology divide you. Are we predestined? Do we have free will? Yes! Y'all, look, look, look. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but what I am telling you is this. The most important thing is I am reconciled with God through Christ. And because of that, I can lay aside my stupid differences. And even people that I don't really like, I can still love them in Christ. There's people I don't like. Some of y'all, I don't like you. I'm just kidding. Kind of. But there's something that's bigger, guys. Something that makes us want to get it right between us That's something bigger is christ Is the spirit in us and see here's something else y'all that and i'm gonna end with this but i take a lot of crap about like not giving a practical application everybody wants something to do see what i'm trying to do is give you somebody to know and we got to read our Bible, absolutely. And you need to get with somebody that can help you read it, that can help you understand it. But don't forget at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And here's the thing. Here's where it all begins, y'all. This is where it all begins. It begins with a hunger in my heart. Not a hunger that I just went, i want to be hungry for God. But a hunger that's put there by God. My little goblet shook then, didn't it? My son gives me a hard time about that. He saw me in a meeting one day. He texted me. He said, your face looks fat. I text him back. I said, you're ugly. I said, I can lose weight. You can't do anything about ugly. I think that's what the young folks call Flaming. So anyway, it starts with a desire. But where does the desire come from? It comes from God. See, here's the thing. If I could reach up to heaven and grab it and put it in you, I would. If I could reach up to heaven and grab it and put it in me, I would. But I can't. You know who puts it there? God. You know what I can do? I can say, in light of what God's done for me, I'm going to press in. And this is what I know in Luke chapter 11. The Bible tells us this. That the one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, he's going to find. And the one who knocks, the door is going to be open. And if I recall it correctly, that is a promise of God. If I recall correctly, God is faithful to fulfill everything promise. If I recall correctly in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that if we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness we'll be filled. So if I'll humble myself and say, God, I can't do this, but you can. God, and everything in the earth, I know there's times I get distracted, but God, I want more of you. And see, I can't make that happen in you. I can't make that happen in me. But I can see the truth of God's word, and I can begin to press in, and I can pray for you, and you can pray for me, and we can go to bat together, striving as one person, striving as one church, striving together and saying, not even the gates of hell are going to stop his church. Why is he not? Because greater is he in me than he who's in the world i'm not backing down because i've got the sword of the spirit and i'm going to battle and i'm going to fight and no one's going to stop my god and i'm going to pray for 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 him i'm going to pray for her i'm going to pray for me god stir up something in me that's bigger help me to see god the eternity that's before me and help me live not with this temporary mindset but with a mindset of eternity in my heart In in Luke 11 that I referenced, I just want to read this real quick. Jesus is talking about someone who, they have a friend who comes to him late at night. The friend goes, and he's he's teaching them about prayer. The friend goes next door to try to get bread, but the other friend in the house is reluctant. And then in verse 8, it says this. It says, I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, yet because of, listen to this word, it's in the NIV. I don't know what translation you have. He says, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. See, this is something that I am firmly convinced of. I don't think the church needs more how-to. I don't think the church needs more steps. I think the church needs more shameless audacity that says, even if I look foolish, even if I look dishonored, even if I have to become more undignified, I'm going after God. I don't care what the system says. I know what the Bible says, and I'm gonna pursue him with everything in my heart Shameless audacity, even if it looks rude, even if somebody looks at me and they're like, well, that's just a little bit too crazy. I'm going after God. Shameless audacity. Who are we to come boldly before God's throne of grace? Shameless audacity. I know I've sinned. I know I'm not worthy. But I know where I've got to get to. If I'm going to have life and if I'm going to find grace and if I'm going to find mercy, it's at his feet. It's not doing my own thing. It's not shrinking back in condemnation. It's remembering what God's done and pressing in. Right now, we're about to have a time where we remember. Jesus, at the last supper, he told his disciples, he, he took bread and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body given for you he gave it to him he said take it and eat it what is the body the body is Jesus' flesh what did his flesh do his flesh took our sin his flesh took the wrath of God his flesh took our punishment when we come to communion one of the things we celebrate is the fact that we've been made right with God through the body that hung on a cross was raised three days later and ascended to heaven sending us back the spirit We also remember that we're part of that loaf. We are his body. It symbolizes, and we remember our unity together, our single purpose together. We all have access to the Father through the same spirit. We come to the cup. Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Poured out for you and for many. He said, This is the blood of the new covenant. What was that meaning? It means this is the final sacrifice that's going to be made. You've lived in this religion that's had all of these sacrifices. He said, But I am the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And the final sacrifice is going to be made on the cross. And we come and remember this. Listen, we're bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're united around the gospel of good news. That's what we're going to celebrate today. Before we do, listen, I want to ask you this. And I just, God's speaking to your heart. Maybe you haven't had a relationship with him. Listen, this is for believers, right? Maybe today, listen, how cool is this? Maybe today's the day you take communion for the first time as a believer celebrating union with God and with each other. If you've never come to faith in Christ, but God's speaking to your heart right now, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. We're gonna have somebody come with you, take communion beside you, and then to pray with you. You don't know the Lord, listen, but today you know he's calling. It takes courage to do that in a room full of people, right? I want you to understand your relationship with God is not something to be ashamed of. It's something to be celebrated. Well, I want to pray, and then we're going to come row by row. You're going to come row by row, and, and, you know, if you don't want to all stand up at one time, hey, just wait, right, because it's going to take a minute. Come row by row. We do it where somebody with gloves on will give you a piece of bread. You dip it in the juice, and then you eat it you want to pray, I'd probably encourage you to go back to your seat and pray. Because if not, we're going to have a log jam. But spend time with God. As I'm praying, listen, get your heart right. Get your heart right as you come to take communion. If if there's an area of life that you've walked away, come back. That's the good news. We can come back. I want to pray. Let's, Let's do this. God, we thank you for allowing us this opportunity to remember. God, that it's not just something we do, Lord, just out of formality, but it is truly remembering who you are and what you've done. Lord, I just pray that as we come, Lord, we would be able to lay all things at your feet and worship you, God, for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you've established a way for us to have relationship with you, that you've established a way and you've brought peace amongst people. Unite us, God, not just Connection Church. Unite your people, God. Stir our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we remember you now. In Christ's name, amen.